Our fight to eradicate corruption, maladministration, unethical leaders, and the abuse of taxpayers' money by those in power continues. It's fresh, it's fearless, and focused. The Outer Hour, where your voice matters. Welcome to yet another Outer Hour. Yes, it's Wednesday night, just after 7 o'clock, and hundreds of people will join us from around South Africa and around the world. Thousands will watch this broadcast in the next seven days, and you are one of them. I'm Tom London, your host for tonight. Thank you for joining us. Uh, every week, I battle to keep up with the number of people who are joining from different parts of South Africa, from different parts of the world. When we started this show a year and a half ago, um, we had uh, people from South Africa and a lot from Gauteng and then Western Cape jumped on board and KwaZulu-Natal and the Eastern Cape, Northwest Province and Pumalanga, Northern Cape, uh, Limpopo Province, uh, Free State, you name it. We've, we've had people watching and have every week people watching from all over the country. And now I found myself saying hello to South Africans in Buffalo, in New York and uh, Holland and, and Canada, London, the UK, Australia, you name it. We've got people from as far afield as Turkey, who watched the show. Wherever you're watching from tonight, thank you. Firstly, for joining us. Secondly, for being part of this collective. What collective, you may ask? The collective of active citizens. You know, we have a voice, South Africa. We have a voice, you and I. And the outer team have very loud voices. And when we amplify our voices with organizations like outer, there isn't very much we can accomplish. Now, I know it's doom and gloom at the moment. I never predicted a time like this in my life where we would be under something called lockdown where econom the economies around the world would cave in where we'd all start looking at issues of corruption like we do in South Africa and start really really taking it seriously I think we're at that point I'm just taking a look at some of the news headlines uh, that came in while I was scanning news sites today I see Minister Mboweni has pulled the plug on PPE funding returning uh, to an open tender process Eskom has been laying charges against individuals accused of diverting over three billion rands from Eskom. We're going to talk about that tonight. And the conversation around corruption and its effects on South Africa and South Africans is growing louder with more thought leaders, more notable South Africans speaking up. Yes, we haven't seen the jail terms and the, uh, the many arrests yet, but we feel we are getting closer. It's August. It's our first show of August and it's Women's Month. Tonight we shine the spotlight on the effects of corruption on women in South Africa. We also deal with CETA stipends if you're affected by this either as a business or as a, a, a learner who is learning a craft or a trade and you have a problem with stipends, we'll be chatting about that tonight. We'll have some useful advice for stipend recipients and our energy expert will unpack the latest developments at Eskom and Nursa and that's where we'll start tonight is with the Eskom and energy discussion because without electricity we don't have an economy and without an economy we've got no country. Before we get to our team who are on screen now, there you see him, Chris Yelland. Hello Chris Yelland from EE Publishers. Good to have you with us tonight. Are you well, Chris? Thank you, Tom. All well. Braving out the lockdown, uh, but uh, keeping myself very busy. Chris is the Managing Director at EE Business Intelligence. Also, in a new face on the show, we're delighted to welcome Rachel Fisher, co-founder and researcher and ethics practitioner at 3 Consulting, who will talk to us about the impact of corruption on women. Hello, Rachel Fisher, and welcome to your very first Outer Hour. Hi. 
And then no stranger to Outer Hour. Pleasure to be here, thanks. Ah, it's good to have you with us. And no stranger to Outer Hour. Uh, It's been a while, though, I think, since we've chatted to Dominique Msibi. Dom, one of my favorite people in the world, joins us tonight. Dominique Msibi, Portfolio Manager in the Public Governance Division, will be chatting to us about the DeSita Stipend Guide. What is that? Well, I'll leave it to Dom to explain in just a little while. Don't go anywhere. We've got an action-packed show for you tonight. Put your seatbelts on, and we can get this message out and have more people joining our hands as we tackle corruption and tax abuse together. If you do one thing, two things actually, hit the like button, hit the share button. That's how word gets out on social media today. And it's a very simple thing to do. Just hit that like button and the share button. And uh, Bob Girante, we get the message out to more and more concerned active citizens. And we get people to be active. Now, it is customary at this part of the show, or right at the beginning of the show, at least it's become custom, to uh, look at who is on board and where you are on board from. The usual suspects are here. So first on tonight are Sam Finispin, Samantha Finispin and Iva Cleary. Samantha Finispin is the head of marketing and comms at Alta. She's assisted by Iva. When you see the Alta organization undoing tax abuse comments in the comment section below this video, know that you are chatting with real live human beings with heart, I might add. Uh, Samantha and Iva are on board tonight. The show is put together and produced by Benele Sinatla. Nicola Jane Good has been promoting the show. I see that Nicola was sharing our uh, pro- promo uh, post on Facebook a little bit earlier. Thank you, Nick- Nicola. Uh, and, and good to have you on board. Nicola Jane Good says, hey guys. Donovan Brown is on board. Donovan says, hello all. Warren Peterson says, hello all from Kempton Park. Hey, Kempton is represented tonight. <laughs> Gavin Light says, good evening and good to be back. Uh, let's see who else. We'll run through a couple quickly, shall we? Um, Rian Lowe says, I'm listening from Namibia. Rian, I believe that might be our very first view from Namibia. So welcome to the outer hour from our neighboring country. It's very lucky to have you on board tonight. Clive Graham Beckett says, evening everyone. Any bums in jail in the past week? I'm going to pose that question and put it to Chris Yellen and see how close we are when it comes to the corruption that we've seen at Eskom and how close we are to seeing uh, uh, jail terms there. Now, uh, I scroll down on my iPad and I see Tony Peterson says hello all from a freezing bluff in Durban which means it's probably about 25 degrees in Durban tonight. Ach, shame. Uh, We've got Tato Monometsi, another party by Alta, serving hits since 2012. How's it, Tato? Good to have you on board. Nice to have you with us. Looking forward to your interaction tonight. Uh, Warren Fouché says, I've shared it. Thank you, Warren. Appreciate that. And as you join us tonight, why not say hello so that we can see where you are and where you're from and participate in the discussion in the comments section down below. And we will put more and more comments and questions that we have on screen tonight, and you can pose them to our guests. So do get involved in the meat of this conversation by putting your comments on the various topics and questions you may have in the comments section. I'll try and get to as many as as possible, I promise you. Oh, I see Pretoria is on board. Swane is on board. Judy van Gilsveik is on board. Dani Duval says, hello from a hot Riyadh in the Middle East. Good to have you with us, Dani, watching from thousands of kilometers away. It's nice to have you with us on the outer hour. Okay, let's start with our first topic tonight, which is Eskom and Nursa. You may recall, uh, if you were reading newspaper headlines over the last week or so, that a case was lost, which meant which effectively means higher tariffs when it comes to electricity users. But to unpack that, I'm going to ask Chris Yelland to tell us more about that and just take us through this case and what it's about. Chris, where did this uh, case start and, and what was it about? 
government uh, providing Eskom with a bailout of 23 billion rand a year for three years. So a total of 69 billion rand, uh, which was really a, a bailout or in, in financial terms, an equity injection, uh, providing more working capital to Eskom uh, to strengthen its balance sheet, uh, which is very weak at the moment as a result of its very high indebtedness. Uh, so um, th this uh, 69 billion rand came through in uh, February uh, this year, and um, it, and and Nurse latched onto this uh, and regarded this as revenue uh, instead of regarding it as equity. And in accounting terms, there's a very big difference between mm -hmm. revenue, which goes onto your income statement, and equity, which goes onto your balance sheet. Uh, and by regarding this as income, uh, NERSA effectively reduced Eskom's electricity prices uh, to a lower increase than what they would have uh, achieved had this equity injection not come through because they regarded it as revenue. Uh, and therefore, uh, NERSA allows Eskom a certain amount of revenue per year to cover its costs. And so, because it uh, uh, regarded this 23 billion a year as revenue, it reduced the revenue from prices uh, from the price of electricity accordingly, and effectively negated the effect of this uh, bailout uh, in strengthening the Eskom's balance sheet uh, by passing all this benefit on to the customer, which I think the customer must have been very, very happy with. Uh, because otherwise the price of electricity would have been higher. Yeah. Anyway, Eskom was outraged by this uh, and uh, took the matter promptly to court, uh, applied for an urgent interdict. Uh, the interdict uh, was not granted. Uh, the judge said that the matter should be heard in the normal course of the court events, and it was heard on the merits uh, a month or so ago, and the judgment came out uh, recently and awarded in favor of Eskom, which effectively means... Uh, that uh, uh, that Nursen uh, has to put up its prices to what Eskom had asked for before it negated this and uh, took away this. So uh, the impact of this is that the price of electricity, according to the judge's award, uh, it will go up an extra 10% over and above whatever price increases have been allowed for uh, for the next three years. And, you know, on the first... First of April, the price is due to go up by about 5.3%. So an additional 10% uh, would make it 15.3% uh, 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 instead of 5.3%. Uh, so we can see this um, a really massive price increase. And this is but the first of many. Uh, there are other court judgments uh, that have, uh, you know, are hanging out there in the wings, uh, which may also increase the price of electricity further. But, but an important thing is Nurse has said they're going to appeal this decision. That was my and next what question. Really means I, I, I wanted to know if it's a fait accompli <laughs> or whether there's anything we can do about it. Well, as I say, Nurse <laughs> came out with guns blazing on, on TV the other night. Uh, the, the, the new regulator said that this was uh, you know, not on and that they were going to oppose this. Uh, but, you know, there's a difference between fighting talk and action. Uh, really, it gets down to what the lawyers think, uh, whether the lawyers feel that there is a fighting chance. So, uh, I think uh, whilst the uh, the regulator, uh, you know, was very gung ho, uh, 
Um, I think cooler heads will have to consider the legalities of the matter uh, and, um, and, and see if uh, they proceed with this appeal or not. It, it, it may just be a delaying tactic uh, by, by NERSA, uh, but, uh, and, and I think they kind of reacted somewhat emotionally, as I guess they would, and, uh, and I, I mean, we are all acting, reacting a bit emotionally at the prospect of <coughs> a 15% increase in prices for the next three years. You know, that would be a massive increase, like about uh, 50% over the next three years, mm. which would have a devastating effect on the customer, uh, both the consumer as well as business, industry, commerce, uh, mining, etc. So the game's not over when it comes to this particular challenge no, or whether the increase is going to be there or not. Uh, your opinion on this, uh, Chris? Yeah, look, okay. uh, Eskim believe that the price of electricity is too low. Uh, they say the price of electricity is 30% too low. Is it? They point is to it too international low? benchmarks, etc. Et well, if you look by international benchmarks, it is. But I don't think we should be looking at the price of electricity in South Africa. We should be looking at the affordability of electricity. Yes. Uh, and, and the affordability of electricity is a very different thing from the price. And, you know, in comparing countries, different countries have different uh, GDPs. They have different income levels, different levels of development. And certainly by, uh, for South Africa, uh, with our very high levels of unemployment and poverty, uh, and and, and, and the, the massive increases that we've seen in the last decade, um, I think the affordability of electricity is, you know, is a huge problem. And Eskim should be careful not to think of this as too much of a victory because it accelerates their death spiral by making the business case for alternative energy better and better. And what it really means is that people will start looking for alternative energy solutions. They'll be supplementing the energy needs uh, with uh, a rooftop solar PV and other sources of electricity uh, moving away to gas. Uh, and really what it means is Eskom are going to sell less. And when Eskoms sell less of their product, the next year they must put the price up again, mm. compensate for the declining sales volumes. And you get into this spiral, the so-called death spiral of increasing costs, declining sales volumes, and eventually the business uh, is, is all over. Here's my first question for you as you view at home or at work or wherever you are tonight. Is the price of electricity 30% too low? Uh, do, you, do you agree that it's too low or do you think it should be looked at from an affordability uh, standpoint? Put your comments and questions in the comment section down below. I'll pop them up on screen in a moment. Let's talk about uh, NERSA and something that, uh, that, uh, that boggles my mind because I just don't understand what Section 43 minister, ministerial determinations are. But this concurrence by NERSA with two Section 43 ministerial determinations, what does this mean for new generation building South Africa? Where is our power going to come from in, in the future? Well, let's quickly just discuss the process of the procurement of new generation capacity in South Africa. It all starts with what is known as an integrated resource plan for electricity, which maps out supply and demand for the next 10, 15, 20, 30, 40 years. Uh, and this plan was uh, gazetted uh, in November last year and then forms the basis of procurements uh, for new generation capacities going, going forward. It defines the technologies that will be used, the volumes that are needed to be built each year, etc., etc. But before you can start to build, the minister has to issue what is called a Section 34 determination, which basically says in terms of the IRP, I determine that we're going to build so many megawatts of solar or wind or gas to power or coal power. And, uh, and these uh, determinations are, are, are uh, gazetted. Uh, and before anything can happen, 
they, they need to get what is called the concurrence of the regulator NERSA, which essentially means that the Section 34 is not just the minister's decision, but it also has to be agreed to by the regulator. And then jointly, once that uh, concurrence is achieved, uh, they can then start issuing requests for proposals, placing orders, uh, eventually uh, uh, starting to build the new generation capacity. So an important milestone was achieved this week, uh, or last week actually, uh, when NUSA have uh, concurred with the second ministerial determination and had previously concurred with the first one for emergency procurements. This is the uh, next uh, procurements for renewable energy uh, going forward. It's quite a big procurement. Uh, it's been approved uh, by NERSA, and it really paves the way now for the Department of Mineral Resources and Energy to start procuring through a request for proposals and finally a placing of contracts uh, and starting digging holes in the ground to build this new capacity. What does the new generation mix look like? Yeah. Well, in terms of the IRP, uh, it's really very clear. The major portion of the new build will be coming from a blend of wind and solar and what we call flexible generation, which is gas to power and battery energy storage. And you may have noticed this week there was a big tender out by Eskom, uh, funded by the World Bank for battery energy storage. This is a new technology. Uh, these are large uh, containerized uh, uh, batteries uh, sort of mounted in a kind of a battery farm, you might call if it. If I'm not mistaken, uh, Chris, this is something that Elon Musk went and, and, and did in Australia, built them a super battery. Exactly. That's right. At that time, it was the biggest battery plant in the world uh, that uh, Tesla built uh, for, uh, for, for, for Australia. Uh, but it has uh, long since been overtaken uh, by further records and, and in this game records are being broken on a regular yeah. basis. Eskom's procurement uh, is going to be a very large one indeed by world standards. Got it. Now uh, before we get to viewer questions I've got one more of my own which is the civil action that's been taken uh, by, against former Eskom executives, board members and others with regards to the Tegeta scam, uh, just run us through that uh, for a moment. But what, what, what's going on back at Eskom? <laughs> it's a really complicated story, uh, but if you're interested in reading, uh, Amabungani uh, have published today the full um, uh, summons uh, by uh, Eskom against a number of its former executives and directors. Uh, and there's other parties like the Guptas and also including Minister Zwani, a former, former Minister Zwani, who was the Minerals uh, Resources Minister at the time, for a well-reported scam, a fraudulent scam that took place with the forced sale of Optimum Colliery uh, to the Gupta company, Together, knowing that, in fact, uh, Together could never run the operation uh, uh, you know, profitably because the previous owner, uh, Glencore, could never uh, run it profitably either. Uh, uh, but the bottom line was it was a kind of a forced sale uh, and uh, it, it uh, resulted in asset stripping of uh, Optimum Colliery uh, before the Guptas disappeared into the sunset with the loot uh, and are hiding out at the moment in the Middle East, uh, the money since long since taken out of South Africa. And this was this deal, this this scam deal was facilitated by uh, Mr. Malefi, Mr. Coco, uh, and Dr. Benin Gubani, who was the chairman of Eskom at the time, according to the documents that have been put together uh, to the court 
uh, in this civil claim, uh, which is a joint claim by ESCOM, uh, supported by the Special Investigations Unit, which, as you probably know, is the state's forensic and litigation uh, mm. agency. Uh, so it's a government agency, and, and uh, this is now happening in parallel with a criminal investigation. You know, criminal <laughs> investigations are complex. The bar for criminal pro pro prosecutions is very much higher than a civil uh, case. Civil case only has to be proved on the balance of probabilities. Uh, you know, a, a, a criminal case has got to be proved beyond a reasonable doubt. So criminal cases are very slow. They're on the hands of the National Prosecuting Agency, which, as we know, is very depleted in its resources. Civil actions can take place much quicker, and the speed at which they proceed is determined by ESKIM itself. Uh, and if ESKIM is determined to proceed quickly, this matter can, can proceed quickly. Uh, and the, the results of the SIU investigations uh, get shared with other government agencies like the NPA, like the Hawks. So it really helps the criminal investigation by bringing the resources of the civil investigation and handing them over to the authorities if there is criminality uh, uh, seen. Well, finally, we've seen something happen, some type of remedial action. If you cast your mind back three years, you'll recall that in 2017, Alta laid charges against nine of the 12 individuals that Eskom and the SIU are now pursuing. So something that uh, Alta pushed into the public domain and took action on three years ago is now being acted upon back at Eskom headquarters. Tom, can I just make one closing point? Yes, of course. That I, I, I'm, I, I'm encouraging uh, Alta uh, to do what they did with Dudu Mignani and pursue an action to declare uh, a certain directors of ESCOM, former directors like Koko Malefi and Gubani um, and Singh, uh, to declare them as delinquent directors. Uh, this is something Alta was very successful with uh, in yeah. the previous case. They've got a lot of experience with this. Uh, and I think in parallel with the civil claim uh, could be an action by Alta, and I'm really hoping that uh, Alta will take this up, uh, find the necessary funds to do this and, 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 and take this action itself. We'll move on to our next topic in just a moment, but if you've just joined us, welcome to the show. This is Alta Hour. If you've stumbled across us, stay with us and become an active citizen as we tackle tax abuse and maladministration together with Alta. Please like and share this broadcast. You can do that now. That's how we get the message out to more and more people and make the circle bigger. And the voices are getting louder. More and more South Africans speaking up against corruption. It is becoming a big, big topic in the national conversation. Let's Let's take a look at some of the questions that are coming in. Um, Warren Peterson says, Eskom, the only company in the world that asks its customer not to make use of the services. I'm not going to ask you to comment on that, uh, Chris. Um, Judy van Gilsveig says, Eskom needs to reduce their staff complement. I suppose this is a problem with many SOEs and uh, commercial businesses around South Africa. Are any moves being made uh, on that side uh, to, to retrench or streamline? The president of South Africa has come out clearly to say that there will be no forced retrenchments at ESCOM. You know, uh, the, the union uh, voice speaks very strongly uh, within government and within ESCOM. Uh, and in a time when there is severe unemployment in South Africa, uh, this would be a very problematic move. But that doesn't mean to say that there may not be natural attrition. Uh, of, of people leaving that are not replaced. There can also be voluntary retrenchments, even ESCOM offering encouragement uh, packages okay. uh, for early retirement of people. And this is happening. It is resulting in, in reduced staff. But I wanted to 
just say that the, 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 the future of ESKIM is a just energy transition uh, towards renewable energy. Uh, there are parts of this electricity sector, like the municipal distribution sector, which are under-resourced, under-skilled, under-staffed. They don't have the technical skills. Uh, they don't have the administrative skills, the management skills. ESKIM has a surplus. So if this industry is restructured properly, there doesn't need to be a loss of jobs. There just needs to be a rearrangement of the jobs uh, so that under-resourced areas get more resources and over-resourced areas get less resources. Uh, I do believe that this can be managed in a just transition uh, so that people, in fact, do not have to lose jobs and, in fact, employment will increase and not decrease. That's encouraging to hear, Chris. Straight from the energy expert's mouth. Right, here's a question for you. Outer, could you el elaborate on electricity com contracts with Kumba? Any interesting, uh, anything interesting inside that question? I'm not aware of anything interesting okay. uh, in that uh, they, the, the normal tariffs that large customers like mines play is what is called the Megaflex tariff. It's a well-understood, well-known tariff applying uh, across the board to, to large customers. It doesn't uh, involve what is known as a special pricing agreement. There are special pricing agreements, but these are now limited to a very small number of contracts with the aluminium smelters in Richards Bay and Mosul in Mozambique. Uh, these are special pricing agreements linked to the price of aluminium. Uh, they, uh, they, are, they, they, they have some benefits for Eskom, but Eskom supplies electricity at very low cost, even below cost. Uh, so there have been a lot of arguments about these special pricing agreements. But I don't, I'm not aware that that applies to Kumba at all. And I think Kumba is on the normal tariff that all other industries and mines are under. Here's a question or a comment rather from Buddy Curran. I'd like you to shed some light on this. Uh, Buddy says another scam between Eskom and Nursa for higher prices of electricity for citizens. What is the, re uh, the relationship between Eskom and Nursa like? <laughs> it's toxic. Uh, it, it is so toxic. Uh, it has been so toxic. Uh, that uh, one organ of state, NERSA, is taking another organ of state, uh, ESCOM, to court in a number of uh, actions uh, because they don't seem to be able to resolve their differences uh, in a way, in a befitting way uh, between government departments or government uh, agencies or government entities. Uh, so I think the very fact that it is going to court like this is just indicative of the toxic relationship and it has, it, it became a very personal relationship under the former electricity regulator uh, who's now been replaced uh, by Mr. Nshwansha Gumeri. Uh, and I think that this uh, having the new electricity regulator and a new CEO of ESCOM has really brought new people to the table. And there are some efforts now to rebuild the relationship and to take away this toxic personal uh, a battle that was going on, uh, which was very destructive um, and was resulting in these court actions. I'm happy to have you on tonight. Jeez, uh, Chris, you're giving us a, a glimmer of, of hope. Right. Uh, there, there is. There, it's not all bad. It's not all bad. Uh, and, and there are some positive things, as, I, as we talked about, with the ministerial determinations, with a new relationship between NERSA and Eskrim, uh, with a court case. Uh, you know, well, that, that's... There are mixed feelings about, the, mm. about how this is going to go. But uh, one thing is for sure that, uh, that if there is a toxic relationship between the regulator and the nurse, it's not in anybody's interest. And ultimately, the sustainability of ESCOM is an important matter for the country. 
Right, we've got a minute or two left before we need to switch topics. Uh, I see Warren Peters says expanded. Why are Eskom selling electricity to Kumba Iron or 23% less than cost? Um, why do we sell uh, electricity cheaper to the big guys? Yeah, again, I'm really not sure that your listener has got the facts right. Um, uh, you know, Kumba doesn't have a special relationship uh, with Eskom. Uh, the special price agreements are with uh, uh, South 32 and the aluminium smelters in Richards Bay. Kumba is a steel, uh, is, is an iron ore mine. Uh, and to my knowledge, it's got a normal uh, Megaflex tariff. Um, All right. Well, let's move. Let's open ask yes. why. Yeah, the, the, the second part of the question um, why do large customers uh, have uh, lower prices than small customers? Well, it, it's, it's very uh, clear uh, that uh, the large customers buy in bulk and they buy at transmission level high voltages and they avoid all the costs of distribution and the costs of distribution are enormous and very troublesome so uh, when, when it comes to uh, domestic customers like you and i and people in the street uh, um, there's a whole further infrastructure that has to be paid for and that is the distribution infrastructure which is not applicable to large customers because they buy at the transmission voltage level. Okay, got so it. we have to, the average customer has to fund the whole <coughs> network. Okay, here's uh, some comments coming in in terms of pricing. Ray Spencer says, measure it in terms of the population's disposable income, not in terms of what other countries are paying. That's in reaction to increases or whether the whether electricity is 30% too low in South Africa. Dani Duval says, if the price of electricity is increased by 15%, then we must implement more subsidies for the majority of South Africans who can't afford it. Uh, Leon van der Leidgarten says citizens shouldn't have to subsidize looting. Naresh Nana says the fees of lawyers and accountants should be looked at to stamp out corruption. Uh, Leonard also says, uh, oh, okay, well, that's not uh, related to you, Chris. Uh, the two uh, brothers, I was guessing the Gupta brothers, why aren't they back here answering for their doings? We'll pose that question to Wayne Duvenage on a future show or perhaps uh, Rudy. Ernst Kahn says, get Molifi, the arrogant individual who thinks he's untouchable. Uh, Dani Duval says, I want an uncivil case. Devotion Mudley says, amen. Um, Anton Bernardo says, sorry, a bit late tuning in. Evening from a very warm Athens. We'll forgive you. Hello there. Uh, Warren Peterson says, thanks, folks. Got it. There we go. So question asked and answered. Ross Green uh, wants to know why government's not lifting the cigarette ban. I think we're all asking that question, Ross. Um, and I'm just, I see Warren says he got Kumba confused with aluminium and apologizes. Well, I think we got the, the, the answer to the question. Uh, Leonard says, do we not already pay for the network? I'm charged 700 Rand before I've even used a single kilowatt. We have discussed that, uh, that particular issue. Uh, Joburg, for example, wanting to put levies in there before you start uh, using electricity or, or, or implementing that. Uh, we have discussed that on the show. We are pressed for time, so we're going to move on to our next topic this is something that we have spoken about when i have visited outers hallways 
where I have uh, had uh, uh, intimate conversations with Wayne Divinage and the team at Alta about the effects of corruption. When I first started dealing with corruption as a broadcaster, I thought, oh, well, the money disappears from the fiscus. Actually, the money was supposed to go somewhere. And when you start digging down beneath the rot and the stench of corruption, we find out that it's vulnerable communities that uh, really get hit the hardest because the money isn't there for infrastructure development. The money isn't there to stock the clinics full of medicine. The money isn't there to keep the schools running efficiently and corruption plays its part. Now, it's Women's Month and we thought we would take a look at this impact on corruption on a specific group in South Africa and that group is women. Tonight we have Rachel Fisher who is co-founder and researcher and ethics practitioner at 3 Consulting. We're going to talk about the impact of corruption of women. Hello Rachel and thank you for joining us. Thanks. Pleasure to be here. Thank you. Now Rachel, let's, uh, let's start off with gender-based violence and the inability to protect women. Uh, whilst uh, we have lockdown and uh, COVID preneering taking place, continued looting in South Africa and this ongoing problem of corruption, how does that impact on uh, gender-based violence and the protection of women? It's not something you'd immediately glue to corruption, but uh, there's obviously a link. Well, yes. Um, and, you know, we can so we are being faced by a pandemic, which is COVID, but we're also faced by another pandemic, which is femicide. Um, if we think back on June, around the 18th of June, President Ramaphosa had a, um, a report also about 21 um, women that were murdered within a space of a week. Mm. And um, we've also looked at stats with Newhall was saying that the 500% raise in gender-based violence since COVID um, entered and lockdown started from March onwards. So if we consider a 500% increase already, that's quite shocking. Um, this week, we've also seen the release of our latest crime statistics. So if we were to add 500% onto those, it, it's absolutely shocking. And there's no other word other than saying femicide. You've touched on uh, the lockdown period and the word that we're starting to use nowadays is COVIDpreneurship. We, we've seen shock and horror being expressed by the president of the country, shock and horror being expressed by 50 million plus people in South Africa when we find out that masks, PPE equipment selling for 10 times the price. Uh, there's not small markups, huge fat markups. We look at the names of people involved in these contracts and the way they got the contracts and it just smells, doesn't it? How does this affect women? Well, yes, like you said, and the amazing thing with Alta also, they were one of the signatories for corruption, which is um, released this week also on um, the impact on the health departments of corruption and the impact it has on the vulnerable groups. So it didn't specifically just look at gender. It looked at the elderly children and then women that are the ones on the receiving end. Um, I believe there's around, only in Gauteng, 91 companies that are going to receive investigations due to this COVID premiership in terms of PPE mm. that they have received. And unfortunately, it's also women that are involved in this. If we consider that it was um, Kusela Duku and her husband that were involved, as well as the Gauteng Provincial Minister of Health, Bandile Masuku, and his wife as well. So it's not only 
the women and the vulnerable groups on the receiving end, but unfortunately, it's also women involved in perpetuating these type of, of corruption and inequalities. <coughs> As you sit at home and you watch the broadcast, have you, and this is the question from Sam and Ivor, have you considered the impact of corruption on women? It is Women's Month. If you're a woman watching the show, have you, have you considered it? Have you felt the impact of corruption on you as a woman? Pop your comments in the comment section down below. I'd love to know what you have to say about this. Uh, do remember, if you've just joined us and haven't liked or shared this video, that's how we get the message out to more and more concerned South Africans and active citizens around the world. We can expand on what we're doing if you like and share this post. So please do so now if you haven't yet. Donny Duval has a question. I'm not sure whether you can answer, but let me throw it at you anyway. And that is, uh, what is the ratio of male to female murder victims in South Africa? Do you know, Rachel? Uh, that is a very good question. And um, I actually, I, I do have the stats with me, but it's, it's general stats. Mm. But um, according to the latest ones, it's an average of 116 rapes reported per day. Now, this is not looking at murders, this is specifically looking at rapes. And we also need to consider that these are the rapes that have been reported, not those that have occurred and perhaps the shame or the last, um, lack in trust of maybe the police system. So that for me enough is shocking. I would be quite interested to see the ratio between men and women. Um, so I'll look for that. Right. Uh, Devotion Moodley says, it's tough to be a woman and to fight against fraud and corruption, especially as an auditor or an investigator. Women end up being victimized and losing their jobs. Any experience or any, uh, uh, any evidence of this that, you, that you've seen? Well, look, it comes to what you've also just asked the community now, um, their own experiences. We need to consider that corruption affects women and vulnerable groups on two levels. So it affects them directly and then indirectly. Direct effects of corruption on women specifically is if you look at extortion or bribes or sexual favors to get access to basic services um, in terms of service delivery or even in terms of getting access to medical equipment or support. Then we have the indirect effects of corruption on women and other vulnerable groups. So if corruption systematically erodes your social fabric and it takes away money out of the system that is needed to be of assistance, then it has an indirect impact of women that are generally the caretakers within the homes. So they tend to be the mothers, they require more medical support after giving birth, for example, looking after the children and if that basic service delivery needs and medical needs are not met through corruption, that also has an indirect effect. So the problem with this specifically is because it's so systemic and it's so subversive. Um, a lot of what I've seen in the research indicates that there is not a specific gender parity in terms of this is the exact statistics of corruption on women or corruption on men because of those indirect influences on the most vulnerable, it is extremely subversive. And, you know, it continuously perpetuates itself if we look at um, power roles then that are being played between the status quo and those that are vulnerable. Mm. 
Let's talk about service delivery and failure in service delivery when it comes to the vulnerable in society, youth, the elderly and women. What type of services are affected by corruption? Well, I think let's look at the first or the most important currently. If we consider um, the impact on, on medical supplies and PPE, with the COVID rates surging currently in South Africa, if we're looking at the impact on the public hospitals even, that if these very basic requirements in terms of, of medical, let's say, infrastructure is not being met because of corruption, um, if it's 91 companies only within um, in Gauteng that's not delivering the services that they got the tenders for and against which the money was received, it means effectively that those people at the forefront of COVID in the hospitals are not getting the equipment that they need. And then if we look on the knock-on effect between the nurses and medical staff that don't have access. Now, take health, the next one going to Dominique, that is off to me in terms of mm. education, and we work quite closely together on that. Think about the roles of education and teachers. Now, predominantly, we know women are the majority of figures within education. So if they don't get the service delivery and needs they require, look at the impact of school infrastructure that is not being met due to the siphoning of, of funds, that places teachers at a significant vulnerable position because they are the ones that need to ensure that the children have a safe space, that they have the basic needs. I mean, schools and going to school is one of the very few places that many poverty-stricken regions and the children actually get their food. So if the infrastructure is not looked after, if the basic meal requirements and safety is not looked after, we have a knock-on effect on, on the education system. So those are predominantly two areas that I would focus on because it, it's absolutely crippling for these vulnerable groups in terms of health and in terms of education. Well, you know, I've been chatting with Chris Yelland on the show for a year, a year and a half, uh, and, and, and very often uh, the light at the end of the tunnel is not visible when we have uh, conversations around corruption and energy generation. But tonight he's offered us a sliver, a glimmer uh, of hope. Is it all doom and gloom from where you're sitting? No, 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 I definitely won't. I think um, probably the best way to put this in good old Afrikaans is that the people are hutful. And that just gives an additional impetus that there was a big hoo-ha made of um, the Soccer World Cup, FIFA World Cup back in 2010 as a unifying force within our nation. Mm. And the same with President Ramaphosa's stance on lockdown with COVID, looking at the experiences of other countries. So there was this sense of the country and the nation unifying um, in terms of fighting against this pandemic together. And when the funds were made available, that 500 billion rand, immediately people say, but we need to watch where that is going because we cannot afford for those money or for it to be misspent and to get lost. That's right. And unfortunately, it's exactly what we have seen occurring. So that links back to the Corruption Watch's um, recommendations that they've just released this past week. So it's a call to action for these departments of health to work together with the special investigation units on these um, expenses or 
miss expenses. And those that are involved within the political parties or government officials that got these tenders or their families that benefited from this. There's a massive push for these public servants to be held to account. And I would actually even say that now is the time to name and shame. Because not only is it a sense of corruption anymore, that you know we've almost started normalizing it as part of our narrative in South Africa. But because it is COVID as a pandemic that has struck us in the most unexpected way, it should be made visible who these mm. people are. And I think that is especially why now we see the impacts on Diku, for example. Yeah. And then next is setting up the hotlines for COVID corruption or the COVID premiers for people that have more um, lines through which they can report. Um, looking at improving our procurement systems, looking at improving um, the um, posts that are advertised in terms of recruitment on state-owned entities, and then also disqualifying these companies from getting contracts again within the foreseeable future. So I think this was a perfect opportunity for people to react once again strongly and to put the mechanisms in place to root it out. I tend to agree with you. Yes, I think I think uh, you know two two three years ago, corruption was spoken about in pockets of society, but it has become uh, a national conversation, and and I hope that what you say from your mouth to God's ears that it <coughs> becomes a unifying uh, conversation in South Africa. Let's go to some of the comments quickly. Uh, talking about naming and shaming, Rory Jones says, "Name and shame murderers and rapists. These men are low lives." Um, Eleanor Woodman says, saddest thing, I had to pay in tax today, even though I lost so much when COVID struck, it honestly cost me, I did not benefit stealing from pensioners, says uh, Eleanor Woodman. Uh, Bongani Mbanjwa says, all of them have one thing in common, inflated prices. Yes, isn't that, I used the word disappointing, but I think the word disgusting would probably be more appropriate when we start taking advantage of these situations to such an extent. You don't want to deny companies profit, but the profiteering that has been going on has been, uh, in my view, absolutely disgusting. Uh, Donny Duval wants to know, how can we ensure that absent fathers pay their fair share uh, Eleanor Woodman says, yes, what about female pensioners? Medical aid costs a fortune, yet we have to pay for the most uh, chronic, uh, as uh, her medical aid has all sorts of rules. Um, you go, Rachel, says Nicola Jane Good. Speak for those who can't find their voice. Uh, Skulk uh, Schutz says, block emergency tender process processes, strengthen the vetting and sign-off processes, and enforce consequence management. Skulk, this is something that I keep banging on about, that we need to take a look at proc procurement processes in South Africa and shut the doors uh, on the possibility of getting involved in corruption like that. I have to agree with uh, your comment. Uh, Rory Jones says, if the government do not take action against these COVID preneurs and looters, can Auta Ocheri and Nell's organization not investigate? I'm sure we'll have some information for you on that soon, Rory, because Auta made the call last week for anybody on the show, in fact, who has information to send it to them. And you can, by the way, blow the whistle anonymously if you so wish. Your name will never be uh, even known by the management of Auta by going along to the outer.co.za page and submitting your information there. Uh, Leonard 
Buffett is rather pessimistic. He says, we're never going to see the money again. It's state capture all over again. Eleanor says, how did the banks not pick up on funny money? A bit strange, I think. Yes, the banking sector and financial institutions often come into our discussions on Out to Hour. David Absol wants to know whether the BEE program should be abolished. Um, has corruption become the new normal? Is it expected and normalized now? Asks Alta. I would think we're getting close to that. Uh, I don't think we're, I don't think it could ever be normal, but uh, I think we may have suffered from a bit of burnout over the last few years that we've spoken about corruption so much that you, the, the word just, just loses its impact. However, uh, I think COVID and lockdown has changed things a lot. Heinrich uh, Fulmink. Hey, Dr. Fulmink. Good to see you are in the comment section, Dr. Fulmink. Uh, Heinrich says, excellent point, Rachel, and Alta concurs with Rachel. So uh, what I'm, I must say, a spectacular debut for you tonight, Rachel Fisher. Everybody agreeing with you and saying what a great job you've done in this portion of the show. So I'd like to thank you uh, for your time. Don't go anywhere. We'll say goodbye at the end of the show. There may still be a question or two for you. But uh, thank you and welcome to Alta Hour. I, I hope it's not the, the last time we have you on the show. <laughs> Thank you so much, Tom. Right. Um, now, uh, I can't believe our time flies. Every week we have the same problem. The time marches on. Tempest Fugit. Dominic MCB, Portfolio Manager in the Public Governance Division at Outer, is passionate about CETAs. And we've spoken about this before. If you haven't uh, joined us when it comes to CETAs before, then uh, let me just remind you that CETA is uh, what really replaced our technical colleges. Uh, and the theory is that if you want to learn a trade, you can uh, you can apply and you can go through a particular CETA. There's more than one CETA, the services CETA, the CETAs addressing different industries. The theory is that a young person will get a stipend and they'll go and learn a trade, uh, learn a skill, uh, and uh, and from there they'll get a certificate, a qualification, and, and, and an entry into the job market. We're very often talking about vulnerable uh, kids in our society, children who don't have money to go to uh, tertiary education. Uh, and go for the big degrees, but they can go and learn a trade. Uh, and that was, uh, in theory, a wonderful thing. But it has turned out that corruption has been rife in CETAs as well. We've spoken about that on shows before, but I want to focus on stipends tonight and what a stipend is. Dom, won't you uh, just take us through you know, what is a stipend? When does a stipend get paid to a learner and how much money are, are we talking about and how reliant are these youngsters on stipends in general? Um, thank you very much, Tom, and um, good evening to all our listeners from across the world. A stipend is um, a small amount of money, really, that the learners are supposed to receive from the CETAs on a monthly basis so that they can be able to do um, basic things like get transportation, take a taxi to wherever it is that they're being trained or that they're working, buy basic stationery to be able to, um, you know, perform in these areas that mm. um, they're employed in. And as much as buy just food, lunch money, so that you can try and learn and train on a full stomach. It's devastatingly sad that at this point today, we are still talking about how these disadvantaged um, youth are not receiving their stipends. So we are not, the CETAs are not enabling them. 
Well, so I want to ask you about whether the stipends are finding their way to the learners, what you're, what you're finding on the ground as your investigations continue and people report to Alta. Uh, but I just want to uh, look at a comment made by Warren Fouché. And Warren said, college used to be a real honorable institution, and we have something that's replaced what we used to know as technical colleges. And, you know, I, I went to school in Springs and, and, and for a number of years went to Springs Boys High, and Springs Boys High was split into two. You had an academic stream and you had a technical stream uh, and and it was a big decision to make at the end of standard five or now grade seven whether you wanted to you know work in the fields of engineering and fitter and turning etc whether you wanted to go the academic route and 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 and, and it was a big decision for for many uh, in my in my case many boys to make uh, and 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 the, my friends former friends from school who went the uh, who went the uh, technical route were earning money sooner than the rest of us who wanted to study or do other things with our lives. Uh, some of them have very successful engineering businesses now and a really great way to feed into the technical colleges uh, and then be and, and then serve apprentice, uh, apprenticeships, learn a trade, become proficient in it and then make real money out of it. Some of my friends have become so successful that if they'd become lawyers or doctors they wouldn't be making the money they do today. So, so, so honorable Honorable trades, this pride that was attached to trades before, has that been eroded, Dom? Are we still holding trades up as a, as a wonderful place to go and make your mark in the world? This topic is incredibly wide. So I'm really going to try and keep it focused on the stipends. Sure. You asked a question a few minutes ago. Are the stipends making their way to um, the recipients, the learners? No, they are not, which is where the problem begins. Um, do we value trade? I think at a hypothetical level, yes, we do value trade. Mm. However, practically, we're not enabling these young people to actually acquire skills in whatever trade they choose to practice in. And that's the fundamental problem. Um, and... Basically, the, the, the point of discussion that I want to get to tonight is that Alta has a database of affected students, very negatively affected. And we are going to use this database to, base to try and get to them because we want to publish something that we're calling a stipend guide to guide these young people to even guide the trainers that provide the training because they're also negatively affected, to say this is what you can do if it is that you find that you're at you know, the, the receiving end of this challenge. And you find that some trainers don't get paid by the seaters, but because of their compassion for their students, they continue to train the students. My word. And they bleed money. They bleed money from their own pockets. As a result of which, most of them go belly up because they're not receiving the funds to sustain. It's not sustainable to try and fund um, the training of students from your own institution of training. So it's, it's, it's devastating in, in, in many ways. Um, how wide, how widespread is the, the, the non-payment of stipends problem? And what kind of stories are you being exposed to? What, what, are, what are youngsters telling you? It is very widespread, exceedingly so, um, tremendously so. 
um, I mean, we've been working on this um, stipend project for about the past 18 months, and we have received hundreds of complaints from students, from learners who are saying we don't receive our stipends. Some of them enroll for training, and then the CETA doesn't even pay for that duration of the training. So they may find themselves being trained for a month, but because the CETA only pays for a month's worth of training, after that, they find themselves with nowhere to go because they cannot continue because the training providers have not been paid. So it's, 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 it's incredibly nonsensical, mm. if I may use that mm. word. It, it, it creates desperate situations. And funny enough, ironically, in some instances, and I've mentioned this before, you find that students who actually, learners who do not have training places to go to are the ones that receive the stipends. And then what do they do with those that, that money? It feeds drug habits in the street corners because they have nothing better to do. Wow. That is their recreation. That is their entertainment. For the economy as well. Because we're robbing the economy of able-bodied youth that could actually contribute meaningfully to the communities. And following on that, contribute to their communities and then contribute to the, their own families, which means that this positive con contribution could have a snowball in, um, effect into future generations of this country. But no... We're not doing that because of corruption. Certainly not encouraging news, and I'm not going to ask you for light at the end of the tunnel tonight, but uh, you are doing something about it. <laughs> I know that uh, you have been working on this for, for a while now, uh, and now you're telling us and talking about a stipend guide. What is the stipend guide, and how, how will it work? The stipend guide is the light at the end of the tunnel of my miserable Great. right now. <laughs> <laughs> because in that guide, we are saying Outer is creating a platform that the youth, the affected learners, can actually use for whistleblowing purposes. So if you're an affected um, learner out there, go onto the Outer website and blow the whistle on our whistleblower platform. And only are we going to just talk about how that is going to be done on this show. But on our website, you will get guided as to how you can do it. Because some of these people sit back and are not able to do anything because they, there's no recourse to these seaters. A lot of these learners go into the learning programs without being given copies of the learnership agreements. Mm. So when the popo hits the fan, they have nothing to show to prove that, yes, there is actually a legal contract between myself and this person, and this person is not keeping their end of the bargain. So those are the guidelines that we're going to arm the learners with to say it's not all doom and gloom. There is something that you can do. You can take ownership of your own development and your own and yourself 
and do something about it. That's fantastic news, Dom. It must be very demoralizing and, and disheartening to be a young person with a passion for something and then just not have the resources to do it and feel let down by an entire system. The good news is that Outer is doing something about it. Stay watching Outer Hour and stay uh, taking a look at the website, outer.coza.co.za, because an announcement will be made soon about the stipend guide. Outer cares about these youngsters. Yes, Dom? If I can just make one more point, Tom, mm. is there's an organization called SACWA, which is supposed to be, um, their systems are supposed to be linked to the CETA system, systems so that the learners' qualifications can be uploaded on that system and be legitimate so that they can walk away with a certificate to show when they are looking for a job. The, those systems are broken. They are non-existent existed since 2015 we know for a fact from investigations into services CETA in particular that those qualifications have not been uploaded so you may very well find that there's a learner who has spent 12 months being trained on a particular skill but at the end of the day they have nothing to show for it yeah. and if i speak of investigations into the services CETA there are 21 seaters mm. and they're all doing exactly the same thing. So whichever way you cut this, at the end of the day, the learner is the loser. The message tonight from you is that Outer's on it and, and are learners welcome to get in touch with Outer via the website uh, with their stories or, or, or complaints? Absolutely. We invite all of them. We encourage all of them to use that platform to tell us what's going on in their lives in regards so to this. spread the word to young people that you know who may be uh, experiencing trouble when it comes to stipends or getting their certificates uh, there there is a, po a point you can go to and the point is outer outer.co.za and tonight you have met dominic msibi who is very passionate about uh, the problems that we are seeing in CETA. She's on the side of young people in South Africa. Can you believe that the show is almost over? But I think it would be wrong to finish the show tonight without a heart fountain for A, for women, and B, for the women on our show tonight. So uh, I'm going to lead the charge and start hitting that heart button on my mobile device uh, and see if we can get a number of people to do the same. So, for Dominic MCB, who has been our contributor tonight, and Rachel Fisher, and every woman watching this evening and connected to us in this country and this world, these hearts uh, that you currently see flying on the screen right now. See, I call that a heart fountain because it's like a fountain of hearts. These hearts are for you this evening. Uh, so I think all that's left for me to say is, look, we'll be back next week for another Outer Hour. Uh, more exciting topics, more of the Outer team members, the investigations continue, the report backs continue. You've got an organization in the form of Outer that is absolutely transparent and opens itself up to the supporters and general public, public at large. Every Wednesday night, you can ask any question, you can make any comment, 
You can join this cause by being part of it, by pressing the play button and viewing. If you're watching the show after the live version, which a lot of people do, I'd like to thank you for taking the time out of your busy day and hitting the play button and watching the out hour. If you've been watching tonight, a very special thank you for making a date with us every Wednesday at 7 o'clock. So, from Dominicum CB, any final words from you before we leave tonight, Dom? It's not all doom and gloom. There is a way of fixing everything, and outer is the place to go to get that thing that you're worried about, that is a sore point in your life, get it, to get them to fix it. We work for the people. We are driven by the people. Thank and thank you for giving us the opportunity to do so. Thank you, Dominic Msibi. Rachel Fisher, final comments from you. Yes, there's so much to say. But I think, first of all, thanks to all the listeners and watchers and yourself, Tom, for being such an excellent host. And then to add to what Dominique has said, you know what, the, the best we can do, we can do our research and we could stand up for civil society and, and make, make these things visible and be a, be a voice to others. But to be more effective, ALTA requires contributions. And it's contributions on two levels. Um, Tom, I know normally you end off by saying about the um, funds that have to come in, so I'll leave yes. that for you. Okay. But I do want to add, please contribute in terms of blowing the whistle on so many fronts. Yeah. I work with Dominique also on the CETAs and on the stipends and education. So the more we can actually get from the ground up and people's experiences, the better we can actually research and respond to those issues. And then secondly, when it comes to women, the elderly and children and other vulnerable groups and people with disabilities, please, ALTA is a platform to help, to research and to make a contribution to civil society. Rachel, it's been delightful having you on the show tonight. I've been watching the comments and people are, 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 are go Rachel and yay Rachel. So you've made one heck of an impression this evening. I hope we have you back soon. Thank you for joining us this evening. And then Mr. Electricity, Chris Yelland, who started the show with a glimmer of hope. Who would have known? Final comments from you, Chris. Yeah, look, I'm, I'm normally uh, sort of presenting a gloomy picture, but I, I'm really enjoying, uh, I thoroughly enjoyed the evening. Uh, I enjoyed the positivity. Uh, you know, for my sins, I'm also the energy advisor to Alta. I think they do wonderful work uh, across the board. Uh, I'm involved on the energy and electricity side, which is but a small part of the bigger outer picture. I think it's wonderful to see this activism, uh, citizenry at work, uh, activism, really getting things done in a positive spirit uh, for the benefit of, of the country and the people of South Africa. So thanks to the listeners. Thanks, Tom. Uh, great to meet Dominique and Rachel. And uh, thanks for having me on the show. Well, you kicked it off with a glimmer of hope. And I must say that um, I, I'm, I, I have spent the entire show without a frown on my forehead and I've almost a smile on my face. Uh, and, and, and really, it has been heartwarming. I would use that word tonight to have these conversations, heartwarming conversations around really serious topics. So thank you to Dominic and CB, Rachel Fisher and Chris Yellen for joining us this evening. Uh, and may you have a wonderful week. Stay, stay COVID free. Hey? And uh, Rachel's got the right idea. Yeah, she's got a scarf. 
So keep your neck warm uh, and, and keep the masks on and social, keep so practicing social distancing and we'll all get out of this alive, we hope, uh, and with an economy that we can hopefully still participate in when lockdown ends. Um, I would like uh, one comment, one positive, because we like to leave on a positive note on a Wednesday night. Just one positive comment uh, from one of our viewers. So if you're still on board and you're still watching, pop a positive, pop up a motivational, motivate us. I was going to pop some in my dad always used to say, my dad has got two comments that motivated me whenever I was in times of trouble, emotional trouble, getting depressed. The one was, uh, when you're lying in the gutter, the only way to look is up. Uh, and the other one that made an impression on me was uh, even a kick in the backside is a step forward. But I'm not going to pop my comments in the comment section tonight. I'm looking for just one from you as you watch tonight. What have you got uh, to serve up? And I'll put it, pop, pop it up on screen and we'll say good evening. Um, before I go, if you have not been to the Outer website, outer.coza, it's very easy to get to. You've got a phone or a tablet or a device, outer.co.za. Not only can you take a look at the various uh, categories and projects that Outer is busy with and the status of those projects, you'll really get a good idea of the scope of work and the amount of work that the staff at Outer do. But you can also join the, you know, as a whistleblower. You can supply information. There's contact numbers and email addresses there, so you can get in touch with the good people at Outer. It really is a wonderful resource. If you haven't been to outer.coza, then uh, then uh, do so uh, when you've got a bit of time. You will be more than surprised at, at how much work Outer does. Okay, so here's some of the comments coming in. Nicola Jane Good says, stay safe and well, everyone. Lovely comment from Nicola. Skulk Schutz says, make lemonade. Nice one, Skulk. Nothing is permanent, says Donnie Duval, and the Buddha would agree with you there, Donnie. Uh, and Ross Green, I think we'll leave it with Ross Green's comment, although there are more coming in. I quite like this one. God bless you all. Uh, and that's where we leave it tonight. I'll be back with you again next Wednesday at 7 o'clock for another date. Don't be late on The Outer Hour. Thank you for joining us. I always wish you well at the end of the, the week. It's become um, just a habit, uh, but, but I mean it from the bottom of my heart. Um, you know, the one thing we've learned in lockdown is that we're all human beings, subject to emotions, subject to the same problems as the person next door. Uh, I've called COVID the great leveler, where CEOs are learning how to wash dishes and deal with educating children uh, during the day. Uh, and, 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 and it has, I think, done that to us. It has brought us all down to a certain level. I'd like to think it's a human level. So from my human heart to yours, may you have a wonderful seven days. May you stay healthy. May you make enough money to put food on your table and pay for a roof over your heads. And may you most especially join us next Wednesday at 7 o'clock. I'm Tom London, and I miss you already. Join the outer now and become part of this. To join outer, go to outer.coza and press the join now button.